Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts as well as our minds, Lord. Speak into our hearts. Fill us with the wisdom that comes from you and with the peace and the love that you have in such great abundance. Help us to show your love to others throughout the course of the week, Lord. And we just pray we'll be able to feel the presence of your Spirit over this place today. In Jesus' name, Amen. When we think of Bible verses, there's probably two places in the Bible that a lot of people um, know no words from. You'll get a different response usually if you ask a Christian or a non-Christian. I was asked this question once and I responded with the uh, verse that most uh, Christians will respond with, which is John 3, verse 16. It's the first um, Bible verse I learned when I was in Sunday school many, 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 many years ago. It was about five or six. And I think that tends to be the response of most Christians because that is such a well-known Bible verse. Now, if you ask non-Christians, they all seem to know at least something out of Psalm 23. That seems to have come from movies and television because whenever you're watching a movie or television and there's a funeral, you'll see people standing around the gravesite and Psalm 23 is being recited. That's always been something of a puzzle to me because when David wrote Psalm 23, it was a psalm for the living, not for the dead. He wasn't asking for God's guidance after he had died. He was asking for, for God's guidance through the course of his life. So unfortunately it seems to have um, crept in with um, yeah, people who, who, who don't believe or who don't understand the scriptures. They put it in because they think it's, it's appropriate uh, for that time. And I'm actually going to lead with Psalm uh, 23 uh, today, because reading scriptures is always always a good thing to do before a, before a sermon, particularly if you're going to talk on it. So I'm reading. I'll, I'll read the, the whole chapter because it's it's a very short one, um, and I'm reading from the NIV. The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, David wrote this and said that, that the Lord was his, was his shepherd. 
And David was in a position to know what it was like to be a shepherd because before he was king, that was what he had been, looking after his, his father's sheep. And he knew the fact that sheep are these defenceless animals, they're totally helpless, and they rely totally on the shepherd for protection, for guidance, to lead them to where they need to go. And he knew that God was leading him wherever he needed to go. Now, when David wrote this, I don't know if he was looking back through the, through the history of Israel, because, I mean, he obviously knew um, what we refer to as the Old Testament uh, scriptures. That was the only scriptures they had in those days. There was no New Testament. And he obviously knew the history of his people. And if you look right back to the beginning, God had always been a shepherd over the people. And that's basically what my talk is today. God is the good shepherd. Because he called Abraham first of all. Now Abraham was a man from a pagan nation and he heard the call of God and he stepped out in faith. God said he would make him the father of many nations. That he would give him an inheritance in a foreign land. And Abraham stepped out in faith. He followed where his shepherd was leading him. Now Abraham knew that he was never going to see the fulfillment of this promise. That he was never going to have a permanent home. That he was going to live a nomadic life, living in tents. Now many of us, if we're given a promise, we complain and whinge and whine if we have to wait for a year. How many of us would accept the promise that we are not going to live to see the fulfillment of and yet this man did. Now, he knew that God could be counted on. And that even if he didn't see it, he knew that he could hold it in his heart and know that that was going to be you know, the inheritance for his people. But in order to receive that, he needed to follow God. He needed to follow where his shepherd was leading him. fast forward to, to the time of Exodus. Now Exodus, I don't know how many people have read that, but it's, it's, a, it's an amazing book. You know, God's people have been enslaved, and they're crying out to him for, for deliverance. And God answers. He brings such a host of plagues on, on, on the house of Pharaoh. Um, you know, the like of nothing that had been, been seen before or, or since. And yet his people in Goshen were untouched. And he led them, just as a shepherd, out of slavery. And he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So he was always there in front of them, leading them where they needed to go. He took them through the Red Sea, which was impossible, but he got them through. He rather than take the trade routes, which was also the route that the, that the armies took in those days, he took them right out into the desert because he knew if his people were faced with battle, they'd lose heart and would want to turn back. That's also what a shepherd needs to do. He doesn't always lead the sheep on the easiest path, but he always takes them on the safe path 
because it's safety that that sheep that the flock need. And of course, out in the desert, there's no water. There's 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 nothing out there. We had the privilege of of going to Jordan, um, Egypt, Israel. We travelled around, and apart from a few roads that are out there, out in the desert, there there's nothing. It's just sand, rock, and it's dry, it's barren, it's lifeless. Now we came across the place, oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The Israelite community had had run out of water and they were they were complaining as they often did when you when you read Exodus. And Exodus chapter 17, um, reading starting from verse 4. People are complaining, saying that they're going to die first. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Which leads to my second point. God always provides for his flock. He never leaves us in, in, in desperate need where we can't manage. He always provides what we need when we need it. Not when we think we need it, but when we actually do need it. Now, when we were travelling um, through, through through out in the out in the desert, we came across the place where um, Moses was supposed to have struck the rock. Now, the water is still flowing today. I mean, this was thousands of years ago, and the water is still flowing now. We know that in the Middle East you've got to be very careful of what water you drink. You drink bottled water, uh, otherwise you're going to get seriously ill. Now, we all drank from this water without even thinking of it. Not one of us got sick. So I'm prepared to believe that this is the rock that Moses struck. Now, as I said, for, for every, as far as you can see, that whole area is barren. But where that water is flowing, there's life. There's plants growing. There's shrubs, and that whole area around there is green, whereas everywhere else is just barren, dry, and lifeless. And that's what God does does for us. He gives us living water and allows us to flourish in a place where there's no sustenance, in a place where on our own we can't manage, we can't survive. So he's always faithful. He's a faithful shepherd. He never leaves his flock. He never leaves us in, in desperate need. We're, we're going to, to perish. He's always got our best interest at heart. And he never, never lets go of us. Oftentimes we let go of him. We lose our faith. And he doesn't condemn us for that because the Bible is very open about that. Abraham lost his faith. Um... Isaac lost his faith. Jacob, well, he started off his life as a, as a liar and a cheat. And yet God blessed him, not the firstborn Esau. Um, 
David, we see the life that he led. And you know, even though he stuffed up in later life, and his and his, the, the earliest part of his life, he was very, very close to God. And that's why he wrote the psalm that the Lord was his shepherd. That he knew that no matter what happened, he could depend on the Lord to protect him. got a, another you know, scripture from the, the, the Old Testament. This is like an Old Testament sermon this morning. And it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now we all know the story of David and Goliath. You have this, this man who's over, over nine feet tall or close to, to three metres in, in today's measurements. And the whole Israelite army won't fight him. Because he's the biggest, he's the strongest, he's going to win. I guess Goliath had never heard the saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Because David decided to challenge him. But he didn't go out against Goliath with a superior force of arms. He didn't have an F-15 up there in the sky and launching a missile at him to take him out. He didn't even go out there with armour and a sword. He tried to wear Saul's armour and use a sword, but he wasn't used to it. He'd never worn it before. So this young man, as a a teenager, goes out with a sling and a staff to challenge this armoured giant. But David didn't go out with faith in himself, knowing that he could prevail. It's just reading from, from verse 45. I'll just read um, what, it, what it tells us. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Defied, sorry. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So David knew that it wasn't his strength that was going to bring this giant down. He knew it was God. And he acknowledged God as he's walking to meet this giant. There's Goliath standing there roaring with laughter and calling down curses on him. And David said, you know, it's in the name of the Lord I come before you. And God guided that stone, which took Goliath down in a single blow. And of course, after that, their entire army lost heart and started running. And they were cut down um, as, as they ran by the, by the rest of the armies of Israel. God is always there for us. I mean, we were singing one of the songs that he can turn evil into, in, in, into good. Something that, that looks like our greatest defeat can often be God's greatest triumph. Because when we're weakest... That's when he's strongest. So many people can can think that they're weak. They can't do something. But it doesn't matter because God can. God can lead us in places that we never would have thought we could have gone. 
And the point is that yes, the Lord was David's shepherd, but he's also ours. All we have to do is listen to his voice because the sheep recognise the voice of the shepherd. And where he leads, they follow. And if we follow the Lord, he's never going to lead us wrong. He's never going to take us into a place of danger where he's not prepared to defend us. He takes us where we can reach others, where we can heal people, where we can minister to them, give them hope. Because he is the God of hope. He's a God of love and compassion. All creation belongs to him. All people belong to him. And he loves all of us. He wants everyone to be saved. And if we're just going to, after work, kick back, relax, just put our feet up. I've had a long day. I'm not going out. I'm not doing anything. But there are people out there who are dying, people out there who don't know who God is, then we're failing in the task that he's given us. I mean, Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That means everyone. If it's your neighbours next door, if it's family members who don't believe, but they haven't heard, if it's friends that you have in different parts of the world, if it's people you've never met before, speak up. All I can do is laugh at you. And if, if being called names and having people laugh at us is the worst that, that faces us, big deal. I mean, really. When we go and stand before God, we want to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to be the, the wicked, lazy servant who did nothing with what God had given us. Because every person we fail to reach is a person that's not going to be going to heaven. Because it's our task. As long as we rely on God to give us the right words at the right time, and we go in the direction that he wants us to go, that's when miracles happen. That's when God can really work. But to do that, as so many people in the Bible, we have to be faithful. Our greatest model, obviously, is Jesus himself. Because he never hesitated. He never held back. Every step of the way, he carried out his ministry. And when it came to going to the cross, he didn't pull back from that. He didn't want to go through with it. He actually said that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. But he said, let your will, not mine, be done. So he was prepared to do what needed to be done. And because of that, the gospel has gone around the whole world. People who had never heard the gospel before are hearing it today. And that's only because people were prepared to take that step of faith, perhaps put themselves in danger, as, as it is in so many countries, and get the word out. People, once they've heard the word, they can do with it what they want. They can listen, accept it, or they can reject it and turn their back. 
And that's the free will that God gave us because he didn't program us saying you have to believe in me, you have to love me because that's not love. Without free will, there can actually be no real love. It's when a person has that freedom of choice to, to make the decision themselves. Is there a God? Well, when we look around the world, we can see the evidence of him everywhere. Does he love us? Well, yes, he sent his son to die for us. And he's given us that free gift of salvation. All we need to do is accept it. Now, that's not something that, you know, happens every day. People don't give something for nothing. But the one who created us, the one who has everything, has done that for us. He went through suffering. He went through anguish. He went through agony for hours just to give us salvation so that we don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to be chained to sin or addictions or whatever that's out there in the world. All we need to do is trust in Him and He'll lead us. We don't always lead a life of, of, of perfect safety. We look at the disciples, with the exception of John, they all died untimely um, deaths. But they knew the truth and they held on to it. They knew that whatever they were suffering in this life was worth it for what was coming after because they knew that Jesus had gone to prepare a better place for them. So as long as we hold on to the promises that God's given us, we have a home when we close our eyes on this world and it's a place that's far better than what we have here. So just in conclusion today, God is a good shepherd. He's the best there is. What we need to do is have the faith to listen, to follow where he leads. Sometimes it seems nonsensical. Why would you go out into the desert? Well, because out in the desert there were no armies to fight and God could provide for them. Why would you head straight for a, for a, for a sea that you can't cross? Well, God could get them through, and he did. Why would you challenge a giant with only a stone and a staff as a weapon? Because the fight belonged to God. It wasn't David's. The same thing happens to all of us today. God has the strength. All we need to do is ask him for it and ask for his wisdom. So I'll just close in prayer while um, um, worship is... Heavenly Father, Lord, today I just pray that you'll give us the strength and the desire to follow you because we know that you'll never lead us down the wrong path. Although it may seem wrong to us at the time, we know that your plan is the one that prevails, that you have the strength to deliver where we're unable to. You don't expect us to be perfect. You don't expect us to always get it right. But you always forgive us when we make mistakes, even when we turn our backs on you willfully. But Lord, you're a loving and a forgiving God. And we thank you for that. We just thank you that we can come before you 
because your son has paid the penalty for us and we no longer need to fear the punishment that we deserve because it's all been forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean. So Lord, give us the faith to go out and make disciples of all nations. Minister to those who need it and give the gospel to those who haven't heard. We just pray, Lord, that you'll put the right people in our path and give us the right words to speak to them. In Jesus' name. Amen.